as we sang, I was thinking I could save us 45 minutes, right? Because of the thing that the worship team invited you into this morning and the things that we sang about the resurrection, about the living hope, that is exactly what Simon Peter is doing in this part of our text today. I'm telling you, it is exactly what's going on. We get invited into that every week. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, I'm appreciative of our worship team and how they invite us to do what, like I said, Simon Peter, as you're going to start to see, is inviting our first century brothers and sisters to do the exact same thing. Love this letter. Uh, Chris encouraged you each day to read a different chapter, to do that over and over again. Hopefully you've had a chance to do that. If not, it's never too late to start. Um, absolutely love this letter. I think Simon Peter is probably the closest thing do I have, I have to a doppelganger in the Bible. I identify with this guy in so many ways, not so much as the apostle who's writing this letter, but as Peter who, man, one minute he's here and the next minute he's here, he's just all over the place. Um, I hope you, as we study this, you are able to receive it as Chris encouraged us last week as the, as the authoritative word of God. Uh, last week, as we started to look at this letter, one of the things that we saw right off the bat is how Peter described these Christians to whom he was writing. And we saw in the first couple of verses that he called them alien residents in the world, right? Meaning that though they lived in this world, Everything about them, because they belong to Jesus, absolutely everything about them says this world is not their lasting home. They're pilgrims, so to speak. And because that's true, Peter basically says and is going to say in the letter, you should not expect the world to treat you as though you do belong here. And we're going to see that even a little bit today. That's why later on in the text, in chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, don't be surprised don't be surprised by the trials that you're going to go through. Right? And I think we need to consider, thought about this, look, I think we need to consider, because oftentimes we think of the trials that Peter was going to, our mind immediately goes to the Emperor Nero and the things that he did when he was persecuting Christians, basically taking Christians and using them as human candles to light the garden. Um, those trials are yet to come. Everything I've read looked at, this letter was written right before that, and so Peter, Peter's not talking about, hey, this is what you're experiencing now, though they're going to. Uh, I think he's talking more, more along the lines of maybe social pressures, that type of persecution that his listeners are facing. Um, and so one of the things that Peter's telling his audience and, and he's telling us is that we should never have the view that Christian life, of the Christian life, that assumes that this world's going to feel like they owe us something because it certainly is not. On the contrary, Peter is, is, has learned from the lips of Jesus, right? Um, when Jesus says, listen, if they persecute the master, it should not surprise you in your Christian life that there are going to be times when it will be marked by subtle and maybe not so subtle pressure and persecution. I also hope as we get ready to start um, and continue to study this letter, that you begin to see how Peter writes to these people as an elder, as a pastor, as an apostle, absolutely. We saw that at the very beginning, Peter, an apostle. The authority is there. But I hope today you start to get a feel for his pastoral heart for these people to whom he is writing um, because he wants to teach them, and he wants to teach them in such a way that, that they would be able to stand. 
right? Stand boldly as joyful Christians, even in the midst of persecution and suffering and not conform to the ways of this world. I also think as we get ready to start, it's helpful to notice that in verse 6, which is where Chris will pick up next week, um, how, how Peter talks about their suffering in very, very general ways. Uh, we'll read that in a minute as we read our text. But he does that for a reason, right? Because Peter doesn't want to limit the types of pressures and the types of sufferings that they're going to face. Instead, he's trying to speak to these people in such a way that what he says is applicable to every part of their life. And it's applicable to every part of our life as well. And again, that is so that is such a pastor's heart to do that. So what he says in this letter, what we're going to look at today, not only applies to some of our Christian brethren around the world who face overt physical persecution, but his words apply to us, all of us in this room, because the truth is we live in a society, we live in a culture where the one thing you are not permitted to be is the exact same thing Christians in the first century were not permitted to be. And that's a group of people devoted to the exclusive lordship of Jesus Christ. This world we're going to read about today, our world today, will tolerate practically anything except humble Christian believers who say Jesus Christ is their only Savior and Jesus Christ is the only Lord. The world will not tolerate that. As soon as we do that, as soon as we live that way, boldly proclaim that, we, too, will suffer some of the same things that these people were suffering. It's one of our points for today, right? If you never experience suffering, if you never experience any type of persecution, then I would say chances are we're not making too many bold proclamations of who Jesus is outside the walls of this church. Because the minute you start to, you will begin to feel what these people are living in. So let's take a look today. Chapter 1, we're actually going to read the first 12 verses together. Uh, our study will only be in verses 3 to 5, but I think it's important, and you'll see in just a moment while we're going to read all 12. So Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. To this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that were to come, you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted 
the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning we, we come to you humbly. And God ask that you teach us, that your word changes our hearts. Now that is our desire today, to be changed. God, thank you for the invitation that we've already been given today to come and to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Open our eyes, be glorified in all we do. We love you and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the reason I read all 12 verses, Dylan and I were talking about this this morning, serves as a doxology, so to speak, for this letter. Uh, Doxology, a hymn of praise. That's why you see, if you look back really quickly at verse 13, we get therefore. So we get this hymn of praise, and then then Peter immediately jumps into therefore. Because of this, now he's going to start talking to them a little bit. Karen Jobes, a lady, I'm telling you, an, an incredibly brilliant scholar, on the New Testament, points out that, that in the Greek, these verses, this is the English teacher in me coming out of you, that these verses, basically, it's, it's one independent clause, and everything else are just these subordinate dependent clauses modifying the very beginning of it. And that's why he starts with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And from there, Peter simply starts adding, well, let me tell you more about that. Let me explain why. Let me explain how. Right, so that's what's going on today. She says in her commentary, Peter's exordium, it's a fancy word for introduction, Peter's exordium prepares readers psychologically for the message that follows, making the audience well-disposed, attentive, and ready to receive instruction. And I'm going to talk more about this in a minute, but I'm going to say what I said at the beginning. This is exactly what our worship team did today. Exactly what was going on. That's exactly what goes on every time we meet here and the worship team steps up here is they are, vi- they are inviting us. They are preparing us so that we can receive the word of God. Right? And like I say, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But I want you to see that that's what's going on at the beginning of this, this whole doxology, but particularly our verses today. Peter is preparing them. David Helm, another biblical commentator, or commentator says this about these words that we're going to look at, verses 3 to 5. He says, before Peter does anything, he pronounces a blessing on God. And in doing so, Peter calls upon his readers to make a decided and determined, and determined prayer of praise. Think about that a minute. But that's what's going on. And that's what we, again, are invited to do right? every time that we get together is to make a decided and determined prayer of prayer, praise. Scholars, different scholars have noted, verses 3 to 5, that, that they sound very similar to an ancient Hebrew prayer, right? This ancient Hebrew prayer, if I can remember the name, it's Shimone Esrei, and it simply means the 18 blessings, right? And so what you, have to, what, what you need to know is three times a day, Jewish people, and this is still part of the Jewish liturgy today, right? But three times a day, Jewish people would stop, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once in the evening, and would pronounce these 18 blessings. They would speak this thing, right? And so what Peter's doing at the beginning of this letter would not have been lost on his Jewish audience, right? 
Because again, this was written to Jews and to Gentiles that are scattered about, Christians that, come, that, that are both Jewish and Gentile. But, but the minute that the Jews, the Jewish Christians who have been scattered about, heard Peter in the letter say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, their mind immediately would have gone to this is what he's getting at. These 18 blessings that for generation after generation after generation and day after day have been pronounced, announced, spoken in the synagogue, right? Because I think, and I think Peter has a reason for doing that because these people who are scattered, they're suffering, they're being oppressed, Peter seems to realize that when these blessings are made, right, when their mind goes there and immediately they remember these blessings that are made every day to God, that their hearts and minds are going to somehow be transported, right, through the grace of God, their hearts and minds and their situation is going to be transported from wherever they're at, basically into the throne room of heaven. And, and I want to say this again, I hope that's what our time of worship does for you. Well, our time of worship is not, okay, here's the first 20 minutes of our Sunday segment, right? Our worship team, our worship team's job is not to whip you into some type of emotional frenzy like goes on at youth camp, right? That's not what our time of worship is about. Our worship team, as they begin to offer praise to God, is simply every time inviting us to join them in giving praise to God, right? I love the fact that our worship team simply worships. Right? They worship. And by them worshiping, they invite us in, come, be a part of this. And it begins to prepare our hearts and prepare our minds for what we're going to encounter from God's word. And that's what Peter's telling people here, and it's the same thing today here at First Baptist Church. Every Sunday, every time we gather, that's what you are invited to do. I'm so, so grateful for our worship team. So as believers, I'm telling you, join in with them. Don't sit back and just listen or look at other things. No, join in with them. It's a worrisome thing for pastors to look around and see people in the gathering that during times of worship are disengaged, they're not participating, when praise is being offered to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm telling you, regardless of your circumstances, because sometimes you come here and circumstances are not good, just like for these people, things are not good. There are, there are days we come and things are not well. Uh, regardless of your circumstances, when you enter this room, we're privileged to do that. And that's what Peter's pointing out to these readers and he's pointing out to us. And so next time you feel like staying at home because you're tired, it's been a tough week because there's, there's things going on, no, 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 come here. Come here and join and give praise to God and, and you too can be like them, transported from your current situation to the throne room of God. That's what's going on. And I'm going to say one other thing about this that, that I think is important for us to kind of consider. Like Peter, we need to remember that people around us are suffering. Right? That's one of the things this pastoral heart here is Peter's aware that, look, things are not good for a lot of these people because from time to time, all of us, just like Simon Peter, from time to time, all of us are asked or needed to speak into someone's suffering. And we have an example at the beginning of 1 Peter on how to do that. Because the truth is, and I'm guilty of this, I'm going to bet some of you are guilty of this, right? We want to send a message to someone. We want to contact someone. We know things are tough. So we're going to text or email because I don't know very many people that write letters anymore. But we sit down, maybe we're going to email, and we sit there for minute after minute after minute, right? Writer's block. How do I start? What do I say? Um, 
and, and once we get going, again, I'll talk from my standpoint. Once I get going, how quick I am to say how sorry I am for what they're experiencing, how saddened I am by their difficulties, how I hope that soon things are going to get better. And those aren't bad things to say. I'm not saying don't say those things, right? But I want us to consider what Peter tells these people who are suffering, right? And that's, he doesn't just say, hey, I know things are bad. Man, I hope it gets better. hope it comes to an end soon, right? We need to follow his example here a little bit. Look again. Look again at how he, or, or how he addresses these people. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we, or I, right, while I have a tendency to, like, put my eyes down and to focus on difficulties, right, that I'm facing, or to keep my eyes down at the difficulties that you or, or other people I know about are facing, Peter, Peter turns these people's eyes upward, away from the difficulties to the privileges that they have, to the privileges that you have as a follower, follower of Jesus Christ, right? And he does this because he knows. He knows the only way to find strength in the midst of your suffering is to do this very thing. So essentially what Peter's telling them is, hey, stop looking at your difficulties. Stop saying what a horrible, horrible world we live in because that spirit will crush you, right? If that's all we do every day, that spirit will crush you. And I know some people right, who are being crushed right now because that's all that they do. Instead, Peter says, focus on the privileges that are yours because it's the recognition of these privileges that help establish us and help strengthen us, right? What a pastoral heart. I hope you see, not just as an authority, but as a pastor, he's speaking because he loves these people. And so all this leads to the obvious question of what are these privileges? And that's a really good question. And that's what we're going to talk about now for a little while. And I will say all of us need to be able to give a quick and immediate answer to that question. All of us need to be ready to say, hey, let me tell you what my privileges are as a believer in Jesus Christ, right? Peter's going to talk about a little bit later how we need to be ready to give a, a defense of the gospel. We also need to be ready to do this, to say, these are my privileges. And so if you see in verse three, the second half, Peter begins to talk about this. says, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise God, Peter says, right, for this living hope. That's essentially what he's saying. And so he begins by lifting these people's eyes, again, from earth to heaven and telling them to think about what God has done for them. I tell you the same thing. Things aren't going well. Lift your eyes to heaven and think about what God has done for you. And he speaks to them about the mercy God, that God's shown them when they didn't deserve it, how God has brought them into a living hope. We sang about this, right? And you know why it's a living hope. The living hope is Jesus, right? And it's a living hope that's ever, the reason it's an ever, <laughs> slow down. The reason it's a living hope is because the one in whom our hope is found is alive. That's why it's a living hope. And so when we sing about this, the living hope, that is not just a future thing. I think sometimes we sing or we hear that. And it's like, yeah, sometime in the future, sometime in the future. No, your salvation, your salvation is here and now. It's future focused too, but it's here and now. This living hope is now. And Peter says, lift your eyes up. Think about what God has done for you, right? Your hope is in Jesus Christ, the one who's alive. 
He's basically saying, look, those people and us, say in our present reality, so think about this from our standpoint, our present reality, what's going on right now in our lives, is defined by what's happened, which is the resurrection of Christ. So our present reality is defined by what has occurred, the resurrection of, of Christ. But he also says that living hope, that hope that you have, it's guaranteed in the future because Christ is alive, right? So it's here and now, it's future focus as well. So Peter's just reminding them that God has come into their lives. He's given them the gift of a new birth. He says this gift and this hope, these things are rooted and grounded in the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, right? And think about it. Peter can say these things because Peter's one of the first to understand why the, why the resurrection gives hope. I mean, just stop a minute and think about Peter's life, right? Think about, think about his state when Jesus was crucified. I mean, he denied Christ. Denounced Jesus. You talk about a disqualifying thing for ministry, that would be it. To denounce knowing Jesus Christ, who he is. I mean, and, and, and then Jesus is crucified and died. And Peter's left there. To think about, this is what I did. You talk about a hopeless feeling, right? Peter wasn't the one waiting at the tomb. It was the women that went to the tomb. And they came back and told the guys, hey, the tomb's empty. Now, granted, Peter took off running with John, and he went to sea, right? And Peter jumped out of the boat when he saw Jesus on the shore. And so we're glad that this restoration took place. We know this restora restoration took place. But the point of that is Peter's able to talk to them about your hope, your future, everything is rooted in the resurrection of Christ because his was. He was restored when he saw the resurrected Lord, right? And Jesus, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. We know that part of the story, right? And he restored Peter to where he was. And, and, and Peter's saying, look, I know this is true. You need to do this. This is where your hope needs to be in the resurrected Lord. My question for you is, is this, is this what we do, right? When we're suffering, when we're facing difficulties or just having a bad day, do you remember the gospel by which you were given a new birth and a hope? Or, like me often, put my head down, put my eyes down, I think about my situation and completely forget what God has done for me and what God has for me. We'll read more about that in a minute. Don't do that. Don't be like me. Your eyes up. Peter's saying, look up. I know where you're at. I know what you're suffering. Right? But don't forget what God has done. And listen, I hope you don't hear this the wrong way. I'm not telling, would never tell anyone to ignore what you're experiencing or to print or pretend like everything's fine. Truth be told, we need to stop doing that around here anyway. Coming through the doors and pretending like everything's fine. Somebody stopped me the other day, Bible school last Sunday. And they said, hey, man, what is that creepy mask you got hanging down in the youth room? If you go down there, you'll see there's like a white mask. And it's kind of creepy looking. And they're like, why do you have that thing hanging in there? And the kids know we have that thing hanging in there because we talk about all the time how we come to church anytime it's open. And it's like we put a mask on like everybody else puts on so we can pretend like everything's good and everything's fine. And I leave that hanging there because I want our kids to know, you know what, you need to take the mask off. Because we do suffer, right? We do sin. 
We do fall short. We need to be open and we need to be honest instead of pretending that everything's fine. So I'm, I would never tell anybody, ignore what you're experiencing, pretend like everything's fine, uh, be open about it. But then give thanks to God for your salvation and hope. That's the point. That's the point Peter's making, right? I know this is going on. But give thanks to God for your salvation and for your hope. And again, salvation and hope, those are not just things for the future. Future, yes, but now as well. So we need to recognize what Peter recognized, right? That Jesus' resurrection from the dead dealt a final death blow to death. And that's what Peter's reminding them of. That's why we don't have time to go there this morning. But that's why, and you can look at this later, in Acts chapter 3, when Peter speaks of Jesus as the author of life. Right? You may remember this scene, Peter and John are going and they heal the guy, right? And then they're brought in and they're questioned. And, and, and Peter, in verse 15, that would be the thing you want to look at later. Peter uses a word in verse 15. It's in, it's in Greek. It's not an English word, right? But there's a word used there in the original language that's unbelievably rare in the New Testament, right? Chad Strickland and I laugh all the time. We may be the only dorks that hang out with a concordance, right? Love to read the Bible with a concordance so I can look up what every Hebrew and Greek word means. Um, and so as I, as I look this word up in the concordance, it's not there, right? There's a number, but there's no other place that it's used. It's like used one time, and one time only. And so let me, let me say again, when, speak, when Peter in Acts is speaking of Jesus as the author of life, he uses this word that conveys this idea that because Jesus is the first one who broke into the new world of resurrection life, he has opened that for anyone who will follow him. Right? That's a completely new idea back then. And that's why it's such a rare word. Again, what Peter's saying is because what Jesus has done, he has opened that door for anyone who will follow him. Think of it this way. When I wrote this, I thought, yeah, everybody will get it. And then I realized I'm getting old. But some of you in this room, if I say the name Roger Bannister, some of you immediately know who Roger Bannister is, right? Most of you are looking around like I've never heard of that guy in my life. Roger Bannister is the first guy that broke the four-minute mile. He was the first person to ever run a mile in under four minutes. Today, there are lots of people that do that. Not me, of course, but lots of people who can run a four-minute mile. But he was, he was like the breakthrough pioneer in track and field, right? Um, probably fewer of you in here, if I throw out this name, a name Yuri, Gagar, Yuri Gagarin, right? Somebody pronounced it differently than me. It means they're probably right. But I'm going to stick with mine since I have the mic. Anyway, the point is he's, he's the first person to go into space. He was a Russian man, and he was the first person who went into space. Right? Today, if you got enough money, again, that's not me. If you got enough money, you can pay and you can go into space, right? But he was a pioneer. He kind of broke through, and now many people, many people are able to do that. Listen, that's what's going on here. But in a far, far, far more significant way, Peter sees this as true of Jesus, right? He's saying, look, in breaking through with his resurrection, he guarantees that anyone who belongs to him will also be resurrected will also break through and experience exactly what he experienced. Again, the question for us is, does that describe you, right? Do you follow him? Do you know him? Is this true of you that you will be raised to new life? So Peter's saying, look, our privilege 
is that God has raised us to a living hope. So lift your spirit to the lasting hope of the gospel. And if your hope's in Jesus, you can do that. Regardless of what we're going through, if your hope is in Christ, regardless of circumstances, we can say, praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Peter goes on in verses 4 and 5. And he continues to talk about privilege. I'm going to have to be really careful and not get sidetracked here, okay? He talks about this continued privilege, and he describes it as an indestructible inheritance. Here's why I don't want to get sidetracked. I am so blessed to have, uh, well, all my children, but when it comes to things like this, Cooper, who I would not call a language scholar yet, but I'm telling you, he's well down the road. And, and he called me and said, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Um, as it refers to verses 4 and 5, and tried to talk me through it. I'm not smart enough to have figured it out while we were talking over the phone. What I would tell you is, tell you is this. Um, probably the Jewish audience that, that reads this letter would have seen all of these privileges like as one thing, one collective thing. Because for Jewish people, hope and salvation is tied to inheritance. Those things are like synonymous. They go together. Right? For Gentile believers, maybe, maybe saw this more as, oh, here's a privilege, and oh, here's a privilege. And, here's, and it really doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. I think it's kind of like Christmas. If I got three gifts for Christmas, I could talk about them individually or, oh, this is what I received for Christmas. But, but the reason I share this is this. Honest to goodness, you see him? Right? If you ever have questions, you want to get into this a fascinating conversation, ask him sometimes, say, hey, sit down with me and let's talk about these verses that are coming up this week. You better have some time on your hand, right? Um, but it was a fascinating thing that he talked about, and, and I wish I had the time and the intelligence to, to chase this a little bit deeper. I don't. Um, for our intent, what I want us to see is... These scattered aliens who are suffering, right, were not viewed by the world as rich or as people to be admired. They weren't, okay? Peter says you are rich because the Lord has given you an infinitely great treasure, which immediately should remind us of John's word in Revelation when he wrote to the church at Smyrna, right? He says, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Same thing going on here with these people. But Peter says in verse 4, He says, you have an inheritance that can never spoil, can never perish, can never fade. Which is interesting because Peter isn't able to really say, let me tell you what it is. This is what it is. He says, let me tell you what's not going to happen to it. It's not going to spoil. It's not going to perish. It's not going to fade. And it would be easy for us at this point just to kind of skip past that and say, okay, we have an inheritance that's not going to spoil, not going to perish, not going to fade. Right? But these words are important. Imperishable means not able to be destroyed. Think about that for a minute. Think about the truth that we will one day live, outlive the permanence of the created world right now, right? That we will live in a place that can never again be destroyed. When you got nothing to do sometimes, try to wrap your mind around all that that means, right? An imperishable home that we are going to. He says it's undefiled, meaning it's not polluted. Again, I cannot even grasp what that will be like. I mean, can you imagine 
living in a place where there's no sin, there's no need for locks, there's no need for alarms, there are no jails. I mean, can you imagine living in a place where every woman there exists with no fear, with no fear, where every man there is honorable, where every child is cherished, right? That's the place that he's talking about. When he speaks of the next world, he says it will never be defiled. I'm telling you, it will be like anything we can imagine, anything we have ever experienced. Peter says, this is what's waiting on you. This is your lasting treasure. It can't be destroyed, and it's perfect. It's undefiled. There is not a hint of anything bad, wrong at all. And then finally he says, it's not subject to decay. On the final day, on the final day when we're raised to new life as followers, we'll be made incorruptible forever. I was thinking, our 57th birthday was this past week. This idea of subject to decay, going back into the ground, that's happening to me more and more every day. I just seem to be sinking lower and lower the older I get. I get it. I'm decaying. I'm falling apart, right? And I'm telling you. We were laughing. We were laughing in staff meeting the other day. Me, Dylan, and Chris. This idea, and Dylan and I basically, because Chris is a lot younger than we are. But anyway, we, Dylan and I, were laughing about. Man, can you can you imagine a day when you wake up and something doesn't hurt? I can't. I just can't. Every day it's something. It's something different, and it's never anything really bad. But I, but but I can't. But the day is coming, right? The day is coming where everything will be made right. Everything will be perfect. And Peter's telling these people, look, lift your eyes up, right? Lift your eyes up to the living hope who is Jesus Christ, who because he was resurrected from the dead, has broken through. You will be as a follower of his resurrected from the dead. And oh, by the way, not only will you raise a new life, you have this imperishable, undefiled treasure that's waiting on you. It's there, right? He's saying a lot about this treasure that awaits and this inheritance that awaits that all of us who are in Christ, this living hope, this lasting treasure. So keep your eyes on that. That's the encouraging thing from this letter. That's the pastoral tone of this letter, right, as, as, as he begins and inviting us to do. I know things are tough. I know life can be hard. Just don't forget the gospel. Don't forget what's been done for you. Don't forget what's waiting on you. Lift your eyes, right? Praise God for that. And don't just look at what's going on around you. And then finally, Peter says this. He says, it's reserved for you, right? That's a great thing. It's reserved for me. It's kept for me. I mean, that's amazing to think about. What God has reserved for me, nobody can take. What God has set aside for me is never going to be given to someone else. It's never going to be taken from me. It is yours. The same thing is true for you. Now you see why Peter says this inheritance we've been given is something that needs to be remembered. Right? It's something to be remembered. Uh, this living hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the promise that we'll be resurrected and the treasure, right, undefiled, imperishable, unstained treasure that awaits for us. It's being reserved and kept by God for me and for no one else. Peter says, lift your eyes. That's, that's what's coming. Right? Look past this and look to that and offer praise to God that in the midst of this, that's what's coming. And that's the encouragement and that's the encouraging thing that he's trying to tell us. And he goes on in verse 5 at the end when he says, we are being guarded. Take a look at that. It's an interesting verse, verse 5. 
It says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Right? How great is that? So, so while our salvation, here's what he's saying. While our salvation, our inheritance is being kept, we are simultaneously at the same time being guarded while we live here. Right? So what's been set aside for us, right, the treasure that awaits us, while that's being kept there and nothing can happen to it, at the same time while I'm existing and living here, I'm being guarded. That's what Peter says. So that the day comes where these things are going to be reunited. Just don't worry about losing it. Right? It's going to happen. Keep your eyes on that. We're guarded. These verses teach us we're guarded by the Holy Spirit. Again, so what's being kept for us, and we, us, who are being kept for it, one of these days, we're going to be brought together, right? question is how. How is it? How is it that I'm guarded here in such a way, right? And my treasure's being kept for me there in such a way that those things are going to be, re, be united, be brought together. Well, the answer to how is that done is faith. It's our faith that does that. Our faith is God's way of keeping us here. Our faith is God's way of keeping us here. It is his gift. That's why Paul in Ephesians 2 says that. Your faith is a gift from God so that no one may boast. It's a gift from God. And, and what God does is he uses our faith as an instrument of his keeping power. And the reason is because faith is not our achievement. It's God's achievement. Right? Our salvation has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do, to do with what's been done for us. So faith is trust in God's achievement. Faith here, trust in who Jesus is and what's been done for us, that's what keeps us here. And it's that faith that will eventually reunite us for this inheritance that's been set aside for us in the future. My question for you is simply this. Do you have faith? It's the question of the day. Do you have faith? And I would tell you this. If you do, right, if you do, then give praise to God for the gift of your faith. Give praise to God for the gift of your faith every day. Every day. Certainly when we gather together in here, a time of worship. And again, worship time is not just introduction time to get to somewhere else. It's not. It's an opportunity to lift praise to God for the faith that we have. Right? What he has done for us. If you have faith, right? Realize it's a gift, it's a gift from God. And in the midst of your suffering, give praise to God, always looking to the living hope you have and to the inheritance that's being kept for you. That's what Peter tells these people to do in this doxology. Think about the living hope you have and the inheritance that waits for you. If the answer to, your, to that question is no, I'm telling you, today it can start. Today can be the day it starts. If you have questions, if you have questions about what, what, what do you mean? What do you mean salvation is a gift from God? What do you mean it's God's achievement? What do you mean that, that he did that? Right? What, do you, what, what do you mean that God guards me here? Right? That my faith somehow guards me here for an inheritance that's waiting at some other time. If you have questions, anything to do with, uh, with, with what any of that means, then talk to me, talk to Dylan, talk to a member of our worship team. Right? Turn to the person next to you. Right? Ask your questions. Don't walk out of here with questions about what faith is. Today, today maybe is a day 
honestly, spend some time at the altar. Give him praise to God for the living hope you have right, in Jesus Christ. Give him praise to God for what he's done. Maybe it's time in repentance, realizing that you just, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I don't take advantage of the time to offer praises to you so that my heart can be prepared for what you're about to give me. Maybe the way, maybe the way you repent of, of the way we've treated worship time, so let it rip here in just a minute. Raise your voices and say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not understanding what it is this is all about. Right? Spend a few minutes thinking about giving praise to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done. I don't know. We have all kinds of reasons on a Sunday to respond. And so, so what I would tell you is, if you have reason to respond, then do so. And don't, don't put it off. I'll respond some other time. If you have questions, if you need to come to the altar, anything like that, now is the time to do that. Okay, let's stand and pray. We'll let our worship team lead us again in a little bit of time of praising God during our invitation. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for today, for giving us time together and God we I I'm, I'm guilty father of not keeping my eyes up of failing to to always consider the undeserved grace and mercy that was given to me salvation that was given to me as a gift God forgive me for not thinking about that Jesus for not looking to you as my living hope, as one, as one who, because of his resurrection, has made a way for me. God, I'm grateful for the gift. Forgive me for not considering it. God, during this time, if there are any in this room who do not know you, Jesus as their Savior, as their King, God, I pray today would be the day that you would open their hearts, that you speak to them you extend the gift of salvation to them. God, we will give you praise for that. Just over the next few minutes, God, grab our hearts, help us to respond to you in the right way, be glorified in all of it. We love you, and ask this in Christ's name.